Hello and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. My name is Rory McNamara. The show you are about to hear is both a very special and very different type of broadcast to which we normally bring you. Whether you are a long-term listener or have just come across us for the first time, you will not be surprised to see that this episode of the podcast is both dedicated to and about the late Owen Hart, who sadly died in a tragic accident 20 years ago this month. For those of you new to the programme, this edition will be unrepresentative of what we usually provide every month, which is in-depth analysis of the month's happenings in all three major promotions 20 years ago, discussed in time machine mode, i.e. real-time, as if it were happening then and we're actually there, looking closely at the big TV developments, match-by-match breakdowns of that month's pay-per-view event, robust discussion between the panellists, but always good-natured and with a healthy dose of humour and fun. So... If this is your first time hearing our podcast, firstly, welcome. Secondly, I would point you in the direction of any of our archive material stretching all the way back to August 2013, or August 1993, to hear what this programme is usually all about. As today, at least for the first part of the show, we tackle a very dark subject. Something way out of our comfort zone, but one we felt we had to bring to you. For the first 45 minutes or so, you will hear Chris White, Eric Landstrom and myself discuss some of the repercussions of that dreadful day in Time Machine mode. After a short break, we then return to the present day, May 2019, in which you will hear us talk retrospectively about Owen Hart, the man, the wrestler, the character, discussing some of his greatest matches and moments, plus a very interesting conversation as to how he could have been WWF champion. There will be no mention today of the results from the Over the Edge pay-per-view itself, nor any of the storylines that were advanced before or since. For the record, there will be a special show released in around a week's time, in which you will hear the TV reports and the pay-per-view match outcomes, but that will be free from any analysis or discussion. The main reason for doing this is that everybody will then be right up to date for when we start afresh with our June 1999 WWF show, in which we hope, as far as possible, normal service can be resumed. I should also note that standard WCW and ECW volumes for May will be with you again in about a week from now, but we thought it was important that the show you are listening to went out by itself and stood alone. There are a few people I would like to thank before we begin. Everybody who sent in their thoughts and memories of Owen, which we will share in the second portion of the show. Thank you to Joe Murata from the brilliant Our Vantage Point podcast for letting me threadjack their Facebook page. Thank you to Justin Rosero from the magnificent Place to Be Nation for the discussion we had on this topic and how best to present it. For further listening on this topic, Justin and Scott Criscolo, as part of one of their deservedly famous vintage vaults, looked at the -the over-the-edge pay-per-view in detail some years ago. So if you are looking for a review of the show itself, do try and find that one in their podcast archives. I would also like to make mention both Conrad Thompson and Jim Ross for their deeply moving edition of Grilling JR, released last week as we record this, where they go through the night of May the 23rd, 1999 in incredibly close detail. For now, thank you for continuing to listen to us. We aim to provide you with the very best listening experience possible on this sad event, and we hope that we have been successful in doing that over the next two and a half hours or so. The next voice you hear will be mine, as if it was May the 31st, 1999. 
My name is Rory McNamara. It's Monday, May the 31st, 1999, as we have reached the end of a dark week for professional wrestling, very possibly its darkest ever week. Under normal circumstances, we would be bringing to you a show discussing the likes of our thoughts on the identity of the higher power, the May 10th Raw doing record numbers, reports of backstage tensions between Steve Austin and The Rock, or The Undertaker as world champion. Sadly, all of that, and everything else, has been rendered utterly insignificant by the tragic events which took place at the WWF's Over the Edge pay-per-view on May the 23rd in Kansas City, Missouri. As I am sure you have all heard by now, it's been a story picked up by seemingly every major mainstream media outlet worldwide. The Blue Blazer, played by Owen Hart, was due to make a spectacular entrance from the rafters before his scheduled match for the Intercontinental Championship against the Godfather. However, something went terribly wrong. At time of recording, the exact reasons for the accident are unknown, but the desperate and unavoidable truth is that from the walkway above the ring, Hart fell over 70 feet and was sadly pronounced dead a few minutes later. If there was one show I never wanted to do, it's this one. And I'm going to be honest with all of you. On more than one occasion, I toyed with the idea of not doing a WWF show at all this month. However, I eventually decided that running away from this would help nobody. In any form of broadcasting, you have to be ready to talk about the very worst things as well as the very best things. That said, it is an almighty challenge for those of us used to the lighter side of entertainment broadcasting to deal with such a somber, sad and all too real subject. With that in mind, this will be a shorter show than normal as we will not be reviewing the Over the Edge pay-per-view because frankly, who could possibly care? What we will be doing, and as our roles on this program require us to, is to look at what has happened over the last eight days and do our very best to answer just some of the millions of questions raised by this tragedy. We will not be talking about the accident itself. By all accounts, a lawsuit will be filed, possibly even by the time you hear this, in which no doubt all the facts that led to this terrible outcome will be made apparent. What we will also not be doing is pointing any fingers or apportioning blame for some of the decisions made in the immediate aftermath. This is not the time for recriminations or petty-minded point scoring, because above all, and what must never be forgotten, is that a 34-year-old married father of two has lost his life in the name of our entertainment. No amount of hectoring or bile is going to change that. And from everybody here on our staff, all our thoughts and sympathies are with his family and friends. With me today to talk about the events of the last eight days, I have Mr. Eric Landstrom, who you will hear from shortly, and my co-host, who I will now hand you over to, Mr. Chris White. Thank you very much, Rory. That was a beautiful introduction and very well spoken. Um, I wouldn't like to yeah, go over the incident and dwell on what happened over the edge as that's not what we're here to do it will go down as one of the most infamous moments in wrestling history and uh on the show um jim ross setting up to pitch to a pre-taped owen hart interview and just before the tape run uh the last thing that the crowd at home heard was jr say we've got a big problem out here before the tape of owen hart's last interview ran anyway um the cameras uh, for those watching at home were on the crowd standing in stunned silence because obviously they wouldn't shoot anywhere near the ring. JR told us that something had gone terribly wrong and that this was not part of the entertainment portion of the show. This is real as real can get. 
this is not a wrestling storyline. After a seven minute delay in the broadcast uh, for Hart to be taken out of the ring, Jeff Jarrett and Deborah, who had been working for months with Owen as a tag team combination, were to go on next. You could see something wasn't right in Jarrett's face, I mean, seven minutes after the terrible accident. Uh, but he was out there and he was out there for a match. And the show carried on, the match carried on. The fans live were still in a state of shock and not knowing what quite quite what had happened and what quite was real. Um, and Hart, Owen Hart was rushed to Truman Memorial Hospital where he's confirmed as dead on arrival. Um, the first major talking point, because we don't want to discuss, as as Rory so eloquently put, the, the incident or portion blame, anything like that. Should the pay-per-view have continued as it did, um, seven minutes between the incident occurring and participants of the next match coming out. Um, got some quotes here from Jim Ross, obviously, who was mere feet away from the tragic incident um and it's some quotes regarding the decision and the process behind what happened with the continuation of the show so jr said we had no time on the headsets to have a long discussion there was no real conversation taking place i was just there receiving information i was trying to process it and write things down and bullet point the matter i had no time to write a script or lead anything in i just kept getting new information followed by new information i don't think we ever said or made a point to say the show has to continue so that's my take on it i'm not sure there was any conversation about not continuing the show i'm positive that conversation took place off air it was tough it was really tough how do you handle this kind of thing was it a mistake to continue the show arguably yes at that time i don't know that i would have had the courage or foresight to make the decision either way because of all the people that bought the show are expecting the show cable companies and the issues that's going to cause there's no good reason and you can't justify doing it it was the right thing at the time or at least that's what we thought it was whether it was or wasn't it's what happened i don't know that i would have had the balls to make that call it's a tough call we're damned if you do and damned if you don't and what and uh, this next bit is what he thinks of the call to continue he said, personally, I don't think I'd have done it. I'd have gone home. I'd have left. We've got to do something else. We've got to figure this thing out. We have to replace it. We have to figure out when it's going to be replaced or how we're going to do it. All the matches you might want to see tonight, maybe they're going to be tomorrow night on Raw because that's a luxury that we could have had. If the storyline we were going to do, it could be 24 hours post. It's not going to hurt us. But then we're talking about storylines and who the hell cares. So I would not have carried on. It's easy to look in hindsight and say, I wouldn't have done it. By God, I would have never booked that. But at that day, I just didn't feel like it was the wrong thing to do because I was in shock at what I just witnessed. When we were told that we were carrying on, it was a numbing deal. I was nonplussed about continuing. And especially when we found out the end game of that whole accident and what the outcome was for Owen. Eric, uh, welcome to the show. Um, what is your take on the decision to continue with the pay-per-view and uh, sort of everything that surrounds that issue. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. And this is going to be, I think the most difficult show that any of us have ever done. Um, I think it's, I, I would not have continued the show. I think it's that said, I think it's easy to criticize 
the decision to continue. And I think it's almost too easy to criticize the decision to continue because it, it didn't, it happened to all of us and it happened to everybody who was watching, but it, it, we weren't there and we weren't on the scene and we weren't privy to the inside information. And we, we don't know what information was being conveyed back and forth, you know, really until the announcement was made that Owen had died. But when there's an accident that's taken place, that's apparently so obvious in the moment that it's tragic and life threatening. If you continue the show after that moment and then stop it when it's announced he's died, is that really a, is that a distinction without a difference? So I'm drawn to how some people, including myself, frankly, deal with tragedy in the moment. And for me and for a lot of people, the only way to get over something that is so tragic and so shocking and so appalling and so unexpected is simply to continue with what you were doing. And in a way, you know, idle hands can cause the mind to wander. And I, I am not at all offended by WWF's decision to continue the show because in that moment when tragedy has struck so profoundly and this is not something that you, that's in the, in the rule book, it's not in the playbook, um, the decision to continue the show and at least get it out there and get it done in the moment I think is defensible from that perspective. I don't want any of this to be construed as me advocating that the show should have continued because it should not have. For all the reasons elaborated by Jim Ross and for all the reasons we're going to talk about. So I would not I do not support the show continuing. I'm not as vitriolic about it continuing uh, because I think there are defensible and probably likely reasons why it, the decision was made for it to continue. Rory, what what do you uh, think should have been done on the night regarding the show continuing? Yeah, the, <clears throat> there are two questions here, really. There's, should the show have been stopped? And do I understand why the show wasn't stopped? And the answer to both of those questions is yes. The show should 100% have stopped or been stopped when it was clear that Owen's injuries were serious. We mustn't forget, the people in the live crowd, they actually saw this happen. And I've seen reports afterwards that there were some people who believed, and indeed, some people who crazily still believe that this was some sort of an angle. But regardless, I won't talk about that now, but people were seeing a tragedy unfold before their eyes. The live crowd were not actually told, however, any of the developments which we received as television viewers. Just thinking out loud almost, if the live crowd had been told at the same time that we had been told that Owen had passed away, that I would say there's no question then, absolutely no question, that that is where you stop the show. If you don't stop it 20 minutes before, 
you 100% do there. But we've got to put ourselves in the shoes of senior management. I mean, by all accounts, and it should come as no surprise to anybody, it was complete bedlam backstage at that time. A million and one things going on. I mean, it's not a situation I would wish anybody to be in. I have no criticism at all for people right to the very top, the Vince McMahon himself, not thinking straight on this one. It is so easy for us to say, oh my goodness, how can you carry on with entertainment at a time like this? Just stop the show. Nobody is going to care about entertainment when a man has just lost his life for the sake of it. Of course, that is true. But there are so many other things you've got to take into account. Logistically, it's difficult. I mean, I'm not bothered about things like refunds or anything like that. I mean, that sort of thing can get sorted if you want it to. That that should be at the forefront of anybody's mind. But logistically, how do you tell 15,000 people? Do you, you know, what do you do? Do you open JR up on the house mic? Do you get Vince McMahon himself out to announce? There's just so many things here that need to be considered if you're just going to stop the show. So ideally, if that's the right word, because none of this is remotely ideal, it's the complete opposite of anything I would want to happen. You stop the show there and then. I One more thing I must say as well on the stopping of the show. I've read a few things over the last few days, people saying that the crowd would have rioted if the show had been stopped. And I think that is complete and utter rot, quite frankly. Now, wrestling fans, we're better than that, okay? We're not going to cause a riot and the show is cancelled because of that. This isn't uh, Axel Rose throwing a strop after five minutes of a show in Montreal in 1992. No, this this is something completely different, and we know that. So if it had been cancelled there on the spot, people would have understood. But I equally understand why it wasn't. It is so, so easy for us from a distance, which all of us as fans are, to say, yep, we don't want this. Stop the show right away. But I do get why they didn't. Although, having said that, just to finish on this topic... We talked to Vince McMahon on this in a year, five years, 10 years' time. Maybe he will turn around and say, yes, we should have stopped the show. I think you're both um, very astute and uh, exactly on the ball here. Um, the two questions you're right to separate out in that way, Rory. Should the show have continued? Absolutely not. Uh, but do I understand why it it did continue and of course you do there's no there's no contingency for this kind of incident there's nothing in place that says if something this hideous or tragic is happen then this is what we do we cut the life we explain jr explains on commentary that there's been a terrible incident um, and you cut the live feed to the crowd at home um, and then you work out a way of telling the people in the arena, like you say, that has its own logistical problems and issues. Um, that that doesn't exist. Um, I don't know if that's something that there will have to be looked at in the future, maybe moving forward. It, now there's a precedent for this kind of awful, tragic event during a live wrestling broadcast. Um, but there's no precedent for us to run off. There's no contingency plan that the WWF will have. Uh, people are in shock. People are trying to process what's happening. And like JR said in the quotes I read out earlier, I'm not even sure that he would have asked or 
any or heard anything from anyone over that headset regarding cancelling the show because i i i think it's near impossible to put yourself in that moment as someone responsible for making that decision and to actually think about the show like i think on the list of things that you're thinking about whether or not the show should carry on is so far down that list of priorities in your mind let alone the shock and everything you're trying to process it wouldn't surprise me if it doesn't even enter your mind that we should end this show now like you'd just be stunned appalled uh you'd have been mortified and I, I don't know that you can be critical of someone's actions in in a moment like that on a personal level and of course with hindsight that changes things but obviously the show shouldn't have continued but you you do have to understand why it did um and also it had as you uh, one of you pointed out had the crowd been told of Owen's death at the same time that us at home were I mean how do you process that as a fan in the arena having seen what had happened earlier do you just leave like I can't imagine wanting to sit in my seat and watch wrestling matches I don't know what you do but I feel like you just get up and leave the arena and you can't sit there and try and enjoy this wrestling entertainment that the WWF is putting on in front of you while you're listening to that. I mean, there's no handbook for any of this. There's no break glass in case of emergency. No. And the thing is, in, in times of crisis, people don't always act rationally or logically. And that's the nature of an incident like this. There's no handbook. There's no... <sighs> With, with the benefit of hindsight, there's always a, this is how things should have gone, but in the moment, that doesn't exist. So the next sort of topic that we'll uh, sort of go into uh, briefly, I'd like to mention some of the quotes from a press conference Vince McMahon held um, in the aftermath of the show. Um, some of the quotes here, so... He said that the stunt was performed on a routine basis at a number of venues. Owen was to simply descend into the ring in a superhero-like fashion. A reporter asked him why there was no backup line of any kind, as that would have been an expected way to do such a stunt. Vince an expert in rigging, but I guess you are. The reporter pressed on, saying that it still looked like there were no precautionary measures, which raised McMahon's ire, who continued, first of all, I resent your tone. McMahon then continued, this is a tragic accident. This is a tragic accident. Don't try and put yourself in the spotlight. This was an accident. Do you understand what I'm saying? An accident. Everything that should have taken place in terms of rigging and to our knowledge at that moment did take place. It was rehearsed in the afternoon. Everything was fine. And this is all I know. Um, before we go on to the next sort of major question, any thoughts from either of you on the quotes from Vince there in the, the press conference and the aftermath of the show? Uh, as what's he supposed to say? Yeah, I mean he's he's 
he's facing media scrutiny. I mean, it's not like the WWF is some media darling in the first place, right? And now you've just got this huge national thing. I mean, the biggest single incident to occur in the ring in the history of North American wrestling in the last 50 years, probably. I mean, it's it's unbelievable, the gravity of this thing. And he's not only the, the face of the company, he is the company. And he's facing lawsuits and he's facing scrutiny and you know potentially probably in his mind thinking this is the end this is the end of me and so on some level and he's spending more time with jerry mcdivitt than he is spending with bruce pritchard and pat patterson at this point right and i and and we know vince is kind of an abrasive guy as it is i just don't know what else you want what else we could expect out of the guy knowing that he's facing probably millions, tens of million dollars in lawsuits, media scrutiny, probably hasn't slept since this occurred. And he's got Jerry McDivitt on, you know, on his hip now all of a sudden. So I, I don't know why anybody's surprised by this. What's he going to, if he comes out and admits culpability, then that's the end of the, Martha Hart owns the company for crying out loud. That's it. So, you know, coming from a professional perspective, like there's nothing he can do, but, but respond like this. Rory, any thoughts on the Vince McMahon press conference? Yeah, very, very briefly. I think Eric has summed it up very eloquently, so I'll keep this one brief. Uh, Vince McMahon's relationship with the media is salty at the best of times, and on this show, we have called into question some of his comments and his his own handling of his relationship with them. I'm not about to do that tonight. Um, the next thing that uh, I think is important for us to discuss is the episode of Raw that aired the following night after the Over the Edge pay-per-view on the 24th of May. Um, it's been dubbed Raw is Owen uh, live from St. Louis. Uh, it included many out-of-character interviews from fellow wrestlers and uh, it was said that WWF management gave uh, wrestlers on the roster the option of working or not. Uh, we had roughly 10 matches on the show and uh, it opened with all wrestlers, managers, referees, agents, um, except for um, the WWF champion, The Undertaker. Uh, standing on the entrance ramp as we had a 10 bell salute. Um, we had a video tribute uh, package uh, narrated by Vince McMahon. And uh, throughout the show, personal thoughts of on Owen Hart in the form of interviews with various wrestlers were played. And uh, many wrestlers were very, very emotional, as you'd expect. It's an incredibly raw time um, and uh, must have been exceptionally difficult television show to put together. And um, just must have been unbelievably hard to have to do that less than 24 hours after the incident occurred um, with someone that people would have been so close to and was held in such high regard. Uh, Rory, what did you make of the Raw is Owen tribute show held the next day? There are lots of words here which we do not normally associate with professional wrestling. I can count on the fingers of one hand the amount of times we said them in the course of these programmes over the last six years. Words like touching, emotional powerful heart-wrenching we got all of that here and uh, a whole lot more and again to defend the federation once more tonight 
seen some comments and you know, the places I dwell to try and get the opinion of the opinions of certain people out there saying that this was just a ratings ploy and that they were using the death of an employee, a universally liked person, just to try to spike the Nielsen's and call me naive, if you will. I'm going to call absolute bullshit on that one. I didn't get the sense for one second that this was Vince McMahon trying to do drama. If you go back into our archives and you listen to the show where we talk about what is probably the closest precedent to this, and it's still thousands of miles away, really, when Vince interviewed Melanie Pillman live by a satellite, that was Vince just intentionally trying to tug at our heartstrings to show how many splendid his uh, television-making abilities really were. This wasn't that. This was co-workers being given the opportunity, the all-too-rare opportunity. Just wish it was a chance they were given in happier circumstances just to say what a great person one of their fellow co-workers was. And some of the stories just you know, took my breath away, really. Uh, Mick Foley about his son getting a haircut like Owen Hart and him saying he hopes one day his son will go to be a man like Owen Hart. You know, you've got Triple H barely able to say anything for 30 seconds because he's so upset. You've got Mark Henry trying to read a poem and breaking down. You've got that line from Jeff Jarrett really resonated with me. Uh, In this business, you have many acquaintances, not many friends. Owen's one of those friends. Uh, Shane McMahon explaining the decades-long connection between the McMahon and the Hart family. Uh, There were matches on the show, but they were completely inconsequential, which was correct. No angles were advanced on this show, which was as it should be. I just want to make mention to the very, very end of the program, where JR and King sum up again, just really, really sad. JR, that line, he says to the camera that he is going to do his best to be a man like Owen in the hope that he will see him again one day. And then Jerry Lawler tears up, as indeed I did, when he said, never leave home without telling your folks that you love them. And then the glass smashed and stone cold Steve Austin came out. Now, we all know the history between Owen Hart and Steve Austin. And I'm not for one millisecond suggesting, though, that Austin is any less blown away and devastated by this than all the rest of us are. So I don't want anybody to think that. I'm not saying it. But I just would have ended the show. And again, here, nobody's right. Nobody's wrong. Emotions are running high. I wouldn't have ended the show with Steve Austin's music playing even with the Owen Hart um, graphic at the end. If I was coming up with this, and hell knows I'm not, I'm just a, a podcaster in England, thousands of miles away. I'm just a commentator on these events. If I was in charge at that particular point, I would have run an Owen Hart highlight reel. I do again understand why they didn't, because most of Owen's greatest moments in the Federation were as, you know, a sneaky, cheating, despicable heel. And it might be deemed in bad taste to airing clips with the commentary team at the time, uh, denouncing Owen over them. But I think that's a minor point. But that, uh, this whole thing is just a minor point. I would have done that ever so slightly differently. But I commend the Federation for coming up with something in such trying circumstances and in such a short space of time. You know, they must have had so much else going on even before even contemplated coming up with this show. And they gave us something which could have been 
crass and exploitative and was completely the opposite. I completely agree with you, Rory, um, in that it didn't seem to me as a ratings grab. It seemed genuine. And that's probably a word that has sparsely been applicable to any show we've done as part of this project going back six years. Um, one of the lines that really resonated with me was from Bradshaw, where he spoke about how uh, Owen spent less money on the road than the vast majority of the residents because he always said he wanted to retire early so he could spend time with his family, which is really tough. And on that end segment, with, I mean, even, um, like you say, the potential highlight rule um, has its own maybe issues. Um, you could do the exact same thing with Austin toasting Owen and leaving a beer in the ring for Owen. Um, but you could just end the show with Owen's music, like just that slight tweak. Like it's, it's Austin's music is, I mean, all of this aside, it's perfect for the Stone Cold Steve Austin character. It's not so perfect for this moment. Um, Rory, uh, sorry, no, Eric, um, over to you and your thoughts on the Raw is Owen show that I after. Uh, I concur with almost everything you guys have said. And I think this was, I hate defending the Fed like this, but I, I think warts and all 24 hours in, this is about as best as they could have done. And I, if the, if the only black mark on the show is the end where you bring out your top guy and pay tribute, then, you know, I think we're doing pretty well. Um, especially considering the history between Austin and not only Owen, but the entire Hart family and the fact that Austin basically rode the, the backs of Brett and the Hart Foundation as part of getting over to the level that he did. So the fact that we have the biggest star in the history of wrestling currently in, in front of us on our television screens coming out to pay tribute to the guy without whom he may not have gotten there. I'm okay with it. If you think about it like that, I, I, I also found it surprisingly satisfying and certainly appropriate that a show paying tribute to a guy who we all agree's biggest skill as a performer was his versatility and his in-ring work that the show that was meant to pay tribute to him involved people coming out and voluntarily wrestling and putting on matches for the art of the matches and without any sort of storyline or without any sort of uh, crutch, especially WWF crutches to, to pull it through. These people are allowed to wrestle and pay tribute to Owen. I just, uh, we're trying to keep the tone of this show appropriate, but like, I just have to say that the people, if, and it's, it's 1% of 1% of wrestling fans and the goddamn internet has made the, these people's voices so much louder than they ever needed to be. But for the people who think that this was a ratings ploy or that the WWF was, uh, you're just an idiot. Like you're just an idiot. Like, how else was the WWF supposed to do this? Come out the next night and have the Undertaker abduct somebody else and pretend like nothing happened the night before? 
Would that have been better? No, you would have complained about that too. The people who think this was a ratings ploy have no historical context, have only been watching wrestling for a short amount of time, and probably just got the goddamn internet last week. If you think that the WWF was callous and exploitative in the way that it handled Owen Hart's death, go back to 1984. Go back to 1986. I'm going to take you to Dallas, Texas, and watch how world-class championship wrestling exploited Mike Von Erich's illness and his eventual death. Watched how, in the same breath that they announced Gino Hernandez's real death, and therefore these two tragedies together made it a tough week for world class. Now let's kick it down to Bill Mercer for some action. Here comes Kamala. You guys have no historical context for what tastelessness looks in exploiting a wrestler's death. This was not that. This was exactly the blueprint for every promotion, past, present, and future, that should be followed when there's tragedy, death, paralysis, whatever. Come out, drop your storylines, tell the guys if you want to work, great. If you don't, great. Drop your characters and tell us how you feel because we all look up to these guys, whether we want to admit it or not. Kids look up to these guys, and it's important that these people who are national figures to a lot of folks are given a platform to contextualize how they're feeling and what's happened. And importantly, in the macho world of pro wrestling, to make it okay to have feelings and emotion, to cry, to see Mark Henry and Triple H, these gigantic figures that appear on our television screen once, twice, sometimes three, four times a week, come out and express real emotion about a real tragedy. That is exactly how this should be done. This was not exploitative. This was the opposite. And if you feel any differently, you're just wrong. And you just need to reevaluate how you approach these things. I just think this was a beautiful show, warts and all. And I, the more that I think about it, the more that I, I think the context, the historical context of having Austin out there to close the show with the fact that he's the biggest star in the industry, I'm not even upset about that other than I wish they would have closed the show with Owen's 93 to 96 theme music. That's it. Just to round off the talk about the raw the, the night after, there's a, quote um from Shawn michaels um who said that owen hart is the only man you could have ever had a two-hour show for no one could say a bad word about him which i think is just like a quite fitting way to sort of sum up how that show was intended and how it was perceived by at very least the three of us um in terms of being a genuine tribute to the wrestler and the man that Owen Hart was. The, the last talking point for this portion of the show, um, I guess trying to look at, I mean, if it's at all possible, a, a, a more positive side of this, not that, I mean, there isn't one, but what, if any, lessons could be possibly learned from this tragedy and all the fallout for, for I suppose wrestlers for wrestling companies for wrestling fans and as a human being what lessons can be learned from this um, Rory I'll come to you first uh, it's uh, hard to think of any right now isn't it um there was a debate the day after this I believe it took place on uh, the good morning America show 
And among their guests, obviously, the day after this happened, uh, among the guests were Jesse Ventura and Eric Bischoff. And the conversation turned where uh, Jesse brought up the complete absence of any form of wrestlers union. Bischoff rebuffed that one pretty strongly, as you would expect he was going to. When I first heard about that, I thought, this isn't the time to be talking about wrestlers unions or collective bargaining or anything like that. But as we've gone on throughout the week, I've been thinking more and maybe now is the time to try to get something. I mean, these guys have got nothing. They are not even employees. We were reminded, I was reading through uh, the torch when the torch landed on my doorstep and I was just reading it through glazed eyes, as I'm sure we all were. A tremendous piece in the circumstances by Bruce Mitchell. He used the phrase to describe WWE, the WWE roster that they're not employees; they are independent contractors. So the pull and the stroke that they have, unless you are a tippy tippy top guy, is non-existent. And I'm not for one second saying that if there was some form of official wrestlers union that Owen Hart would still be here today and that that's utterly ludicrous uh, if there was some bona fide organization or body that these wrestlers could actually go to when they're not happy with something now they think things aren't right just somebody with some form of authority you can talk to who isn't your boss you know talking to your boss in any form of any form of employment to say i don't really want to do this today is difficult at the best of times and nonetheless when you are a you know, world-renowned entertainment company run by somebody like vince mcmahon but it is about time and it is i just hope this is the wake-up call it needs to be the wrestlers have some sort of legitimate genuine outlet and this union should not just be a talking shop they need to have as i've said some form of power within the official organization and you might say all of this is for the birds and you're probably right now vince mcmahon is not going to unionize anytime soon eric bishop isn't like paul Heyman isn't but that's a different issue you could say that ecw are one big union but what you give with one hand you take with the other in ecw but that's that's a different story for another day so i just hope maybe against hope that we can stop treating these entertainers these human beings it's almost you know in this superhero world here we are the attitude era these guys are still seen as superheroes a very different form to saying prayers and eating vitamins but they're still larger than life but at the end of the day they're people just like you and me they have the same concerns the same worries the same issues that all of us do and i think it's about bloody time that i just think it really is about bloody time that they were able to air these without fear of negative repercussions and just stop treating these guys like circus animals eric um do you think there's any lessons that we can take from this whole incident the tragedy and everything surrounding it i would hope that it you know this was the worst way to develop a blueprint but like i said before i hope we now have a blueprint for not only what to do in the 
hours and days and weeks after a tragedy should one ever occur and hopefully not. But I hope we've learned now that with the benefit of just, you know, a little bit of hindsight that you cancel the show, uh, you figure out a way to deal with the audience and then you move on. I mean, if there's any company that can absorb an immediate PR backlash, it's gotta be the WWF, right? I mean, what do they have to worry about? Uh, do I, I'm going to ask a question because I don't know the answer is, and my question is, do we know whether or not Owen seriously uh, disavowed this stunt in the days and hours before it occurred? From what I've know? been able to glean from uh, the sheets, I'm going to call that one inconclusive. There's differing reports on that one. I mean, nobody yeah. is really going to know what was going on in his head at that time. So I've read differing reports on, as to what he actually said and to whom. Uh, and so, yeah, Rory, I don't think your point really changes. I was just curious because, you know, you can take a really, really narrow view of this and say, well, that's the end of people repelling from the ceiling in wrestling. Because I think at this point, how long has Sting been doing it? Two and a half years, a year and a half, you know, two years. And now we have this. I just think, you know, needless stunts that don't really pop a rating and don't really accentuate characters. Um, and even if, I mean, I shouldn't say that popping a rating or accentuating characters is a decent excuse for doing needless stunts. It's not. But especially when those two factors are eliminated, there's no point in doing this. I know the Blue Blazer is supposed to be some comedic character, supposed to be a buffoon, wherever they're going with that, whatever. I don't really want to talk about it, but I just think that uh, in in the future, if there's a choice between is this stunt dangerous and does it move the needle, the danger analysis portion of it is given far greater weight than the does it move the needle uh, aspect of it. And in a stunt like this, where it wasn't announced before, and I know Jim Ross has come out and said this too, and I'm just, I'm just going to kind of repeat his opinion because I fully agree with it, which is if it's not announced before and if the crowd's not expecting it, and and then you're under no obligation to do something like this. And if you do, then you're just putting a performer at a needless risk. And even if the risk is 1%, you're putting a performer at an extra needless risk of, of, of disaster. And it's just it's completely needless. So my hope is that in the future, more analysis is paid towards the danger and the 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 uh, and the does this have any utilization or any benefit? Um, and even if it has some benefit, how dangerous is it? And do we need to do it? And in this situation, this was completely pointless for a mid card act, a mid card comedy act. Frankly, I know they were going to pivot off of it. That's the rumor, and Owen was going to be legit. Intercontinental Champion, maybe. Wish I could have seen that. But the fact is, going into the show, Owen was playing a mid-card comedy heel. And there's no room in wrestling for a mid-card comedy heel to be anywhere near a stunt that could be fatal. And I hope that lesson is learned in the future and they can be away with all this gimmickry shit and get back to focusing on you know in-ring and storylines where wrestlers at least have some modicum of control over their safety and over the outcome of a situation. Um, gentlemen, I think we've, well, you've both done uh, superbly um, with your analysis and answering the questions 
concerning the incident and the aftermath. Um, what we're going to do now is uh, take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to move away from the incident and the incident itself. And what we're going to do for the second half of the show, as Rory spoke about in the introduction, is we're going to focus on Owen Hart, the, the man, and Owen Hart, the wrestler, and away from the last night of his life and about the 34 years that preceded it. Um, so, yeah, we're going to take a short break, and then uh, when we're back, We'll be talking all things Owen Hart. So, um, this is a hard one to do. Um, obviously, you know, even though it is 20 years ago, um, it still is one of those moments of one of the guys that really did affect my childhood in wrestling. Um, the passing of Owen Hart. Um he was there when I first got into wrestling um, back in the days of High Energy um, and the new foundation with the fucking MC Hammer parachute pants um, with Nightheart and Coco Beware and then, you know, the the Rocket, Owen Hart, the, the, the great baby face and then the amazing heel work between him uh, when he became the King of Hearts going into that feud with Brett um, all the way through to you know him being the, the last standing member of the Hart Foundation um, going against DX and then obviously before his untimely death his tag team with Slapnuts himself Jeff Jarrett and the return of the Blue Baser gimmick um, he's always been one of those guys that you always knew you were going to get a good match from. Um, yeah, he wasn't the greatest talker, but in ring, he was fucking amazing. Um, my first time, or one of my first shows on the, the this whole podcast was SummerSlam 94, and I waxed lyrical about how amazing that cage match is between him and Brett. Um we just did our WrestleMania favourite matches and Brett vs. Owen at WrestleMania 10 is my favourite Mania match and it's not because of Brett because I don't get the great thing about Brett. It's all about Owen. Um, and the thing is, he, he could do that against a Shawn Michaels. He can do it against the 1-2-3 kid. He can do it against fucking outlaws. He can do it against Triple H. You put him in the ring against anyone and he will get a great match out of everyone. And the the way and the circumstances of his untimely death is awful. Um, you know, he left behind a young family. Um, he always said that he was going to get out of wrestling when he wanted to you know and there was rumours that he was going to go into the he was looking at going into the fire force or be a teacher you know he his whole his whole life was his his, his family and his kids um, and for that to be taken away in the manner that it happened is is hideous um, you know it, it shouldn't happen to anyone and it really is one of the worst things 
for anyone or anything to happen in wrestling. Um, but this isn't a sort of oh woe is me moment on what happened to him. But this is more retrospective of what was great about Owen. Um, and that's his in-ring work. Um, he was one of the greatest people in the fucking business during the last 10 years. Um, he, His matches, as I said, against Brett were fucking amazing. There's that match at King of the Ring, him and 1-2-3-Kid, which is only about 7-8 minutes long, but it's fucking amazing. There's matches of him versus HBK at Raw, which are great. Him and uh, Triple H at Mania 14 is awesome. Nothing that he did was bad. Um, so yeah, Owen is going to be missed, obviously, for his in-ring stuff. But also, you hear the stories coming out of him being the great guy behind the scenes, entertaining everyone, doing silly ribs, playing practical jokes, and just just sort of being being him but in a way that's just like fun and silly and you know carefree i feel that's going to be missed as well that's that's obviously not what we saw of him but that's what his fellow colleagues and fellow wrestlers had with him um so you know it's going to be missed from there the fans are going to miss him because we're going to miss his his fucking happiness and his joy and his wonder in the ring and the fact that he was always happy and there was always a smile on his face, you know, just me means that you're going to miss that. Um, but obviously his family are going to miss him the most. And, you know, it's a fucking tragedy that should have never, ever happened. But Owen Hart, the king of hearts, the true greatest member of the Hart family will be sorely missed. And we are back and it is now the 26th of May. 2019 we are out of timeline mode you will have heard there from our own chris lacy paying tribute to owen hart who of course left us 20 years ago this month giving his own thoughts there on the great man and we are now going to do the same over the next well who knows how long it's going to be as long as we feel we need to do the great man justice myself eric and chris we're just going to talk about owen hart the man we're going to talk about some of his greatest matches uh, his greatest moments, our own personal thoughts. I do have some listener feedback, which some of you were very kind enough to send in. And we're just going to talk about the great man for say, as long as we wish. I, I wish we could talk about this for eight to ten hours, but so we'll just keep on rolling for as long as we can. Eric, for you, Owen is the greatest of all time. Open this discussion, talking about him any way you wish. The floor is yours, my friend. He's just the best. Like... I know that Owen is objectively not the greatest wrestler of all time. Let's get that out of the way so that Bamber doesn't show up on our message board again. But I, I, he's my favorite of all time. And I think subjectively for me, he just checks all the boxes that I ever wanted out of a professional wrestler. He's funny. I know that's the first thing I'm not supposed to say, but he's funny. But he can be serious. But he's definitely a caricature. Like, you don't see... I always... The, the, the canonical image for me of Owen Hart is coming out of WrestleMania 10 and ripping up the glasses in front of that little kid. And... Uh, or maybe he didn't do it on the... 
no, he didn't rip the glasses in front of the little kid at 10. He did it on the turnbuckle. But before that, in the lead up to that, he would walk out and rip up the glasses in front of the kids. And he had that look on his face where he was like, you're cartoonish evil. But it wasn't cartoonish like the 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 dumpster guys and the and the uh, plumbers. It was cartoonish like wrestling is supposed to have a little bit of tongue-in-cheekness to it, a little bit of lightheartedness to it. And for me, Owen just always struck the right tone of being a heel who I always gravitated towards were the heels when I was growing up. Being a great wrestler, just an unbelievable wrestler, go up and down the card, work with anybody. 95 alone, you can see him working with the kid. You can see him working with Diesel, working with Yoko uh, in tags, and, and then in the 96 against Yoko. I mean, Owen was a guy on the roster who could work with the biggest guys and the smallest guys, look great, make them all look great, have great matches against great opponents and good matches against terrible opponents, um, and was just truly the first wrestler whoever caught my attention well enough to make me think, gosh, I could really stick around. He was my first favorite. Um, I drifted away a little bit as he started going into the nation and doing all the late career stuff. And admittedly while he was doing this blue blazer stuff, but coming back to this mad world of mid nineties to late nineties wrestling over the past three years with this project has only reinforced the fact that Owen Hart for me is the greatest of all time. He's the most entertaining person on my television screen whenever he's on it. And that's all you can ask. The dude was just legit. And I think that he's somehow still underrated, but I'm, I'm so pleased to see that now 20 years after his death, folks are really rallying around the idea that Owen was one of the greatest of all time. Quite right. Uh, Chris, your opening thoughts on Owen and indeed how you first came across his body of work being a little younger than the, the rest of us. Yeah, was it, so was my, it during the course of this project or? Uh, yeah, um, it, it was. So, yeah, I, I started watching wrestling around. I mean, we're coming up to it now in timeline where I would have jumped in. It would have been around the turn of millennium. Um, so this peak sort of attitude era stuff um, that we're really in um it's all stuff that i would have seen in going back over the years as a fan but never lived through in timeline chronologically like we're doing as part of this project so particularly i mean certainly i the first time i would have been exposed to wrestling would have been after um may of 1999 and so i i would have been particularly oblivious of owen um, as a naive little seven-year-old <laughs> and uh, going back and watching some of the stuff. So I've been doing this now, uh, I believe January 95 was when I jumped on. Uh, but what made me want to get involved was watching along and listening to the guys break down some of those moments from 1994 with Owen and Brett and the turn is it at the 94 rumble yes. returns on Brett mm -hmm. uh the match at WrestleMania 10 that year and then the cage match at SummerSlam yep I'm yes. say SummerSlam, 94 so yeah I wasn't doing the podcast then but I was a listener and that year of programming and I was like you know what I'm 
like a uh, like I've been a wrestling fan probably since the age seven or eight. Like, but I've never gone back and watched this period week to week. And like, I don't know why I've not done that. Like, obviously, I've seen the biggest matches, the biggest moments, and in a way, I would attribute my involvement to this project to the work of Owen and Bret Hart throughout 1994 um because it was that what got me listening to the show it was that what then got me involved on the show and that's what has made me four or five years later a part of this show to this very day and i feel like i missed out being the age i am on because we all know i mean we're all wrestling fans at our current ages, of course, but I doubt any of us will ever love a wrestler or have a favourite wrestler to the degree to the degree you do when you're a child or a teenager or anything like that. When when the, the person you see on your TV completely encapsulates everything you're looking up to and aspiring to be as like this <laughs> young kid, basically, and not that you would maybe necessarily aspire to be Owen Hart. <laughs> in 1994 um but i think i maybe like would have adored that stuff as a kid like that would have been me like my perfect wrestling it like i, I love work rate and i love classic in-ring matches so yeah owen hart's got that down but i love storyline driven matches as well and i that that i love motive like heart string pulling emotional matches and to really break the timeline here so we're recording this what the 26th of may so last night was uh all elite wrestling i can't believe they're getting a shout on this podcast oh, <laughs> it was it was their first yeah, well, ever well, show. We'll, we'll we'll be doing them in 20 years so we'll probably do all in as well so they've only got 19 and a half years until cool, we do it in cool so the next time they get a mention will be 19 and a half years time <laughs> um but yeah so having stayed up to watch double or nothing last night my favorite match in the show was cody rhodes versus dustin rhodes and it wasn't the best like in ring match i mean look at some of the workers we had on the show aside from that but like that's a brother versus brother like very literally in the case of th that match a blood feud and as a kid, like what would have captivated me watching wrestling would have been Owen Hart and Bret Hart in 1994. And I think I missed out on that at the time. And I'm very grateful to have been able to go back and expose myself to the body of work within this, from that period onwards of Owen Hart and to truly appreciate just how brilliant he was. Because until this project, I definitely lacked that in terms of my fandom, and that was to my detriment because I had been missing out greatly. Yeah, you watched Double or Nothing. Shout out to you! It started um, one hour after. Uh, I'm one hour behind it uh, in terms of time zones, and you stayed up to watch it, and I didn't even watch it. So, <laughs> I think, but but I think I think you paint an excellent uh, portrait of why that Owen and Brett storyline was so important and so impactful on young wrestling fans at the time and i i will say i got in on wrestling in 95 so owen and brett were basically done and we were just living in the in the remnants of how that shook out but then 
get into wrestling 95 96 okay now i'm going to the video store running tapes wrestlemania 10 boom i'm in i'm all caught up through SummerSlam. didn't take long so i, I kind of count it as my childhood canon even though i caught it later but the brother versus brother thing can be done so so well and it can be done really really poorly i mean how many times have the hardys did the hardys have to do that to get it right oh yeah I'm not, right i'm not sure, I'm not sure they ever did Right. Well, they had to turn to some weird thing in order to maybe get it right. And even that, it was mostly storyline and Hollywood magic than it was wrestling. Yeah. But Cody and Dustin did it fine in, in a, in a one-match blow-off. Uh, it was essentially a tribute to their dad, as I, as I understand it. But Brett and Owen just pulled off the best storyline that the WWF might have done to that point in terms of it was the only thing going in 94. It was the only yeah. thing that the WWF had to hang its shingle on. Without that, you're left with a year without The Undertaker. Yokozuna, bless his heart, is champion up against a bunch of guys he can't work with. I mean, Yokozuna didn't get, wasn't good unless he was in the ring with someone who could work with him. Obviously, that's just the nature of big guys. But without Owen and Brett in 94, I don't know where we are and i don't know where brett goes and i don't know if owen is ever a thing you know a big criticism of owen has been oh he's a good wrestler because he always worked with good guys but you look at it and you look at the guys he's worked with and those guys brett sean bulldog have all had bad matches against other guys and have all had bad matches against each other but I can't recall a bad Brett versus Owen match. I can't recall a bad Brett versus or a Sean versus Owen match. I can't recall a bad Bulldog versus Owen match. And I think the difference is when Owen was in the ring because he was so professional and so dedicated to the craft and he wasn't an egomaniac and he was willing to put guys over and work with guys and he wasn't he wasn't even so protective of his spot, even maybe when he should have been at times, that the 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 issues that you had with Bulldog with the substance abuse and with Brett with the egotism and with Sean with the you know the kind of the same issues as Brett. I don't recall Owen ever having a bad consequence. There are some early superstars and raw matches. I don't I don't know if he was ever on superstars, but some early raw matches against job guys, and it's clear the job guy just doesn't belong there. And those aren't great matches, but in terms of matches of any level of prominence. I can't really recall Owen never giving it 100% and thus bringing the match up to something passable unless it was something just completely out of his control. Even the match where Austin got paralyzed, that was a four-star match until the very end. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and so I think that's the distinction here is when you say Owen only ever – Owen's best matches were only against guys who have good matches, those guys also had bad matches. In, on, on national levels against good workers. I mean, Christ, Bret Hart and Bob Backlund at 11, two amazing in-ring technicians come together for one of the worst matches ever. Um, Sean versus Bulldog at Beware of Dog, come to two guys who can work together well, come together for an amazing stinker of a match. And you just go up and down the card, and good, good workers don't always have good matches against other good workers, but Owen did. And that's that says a lot about Owen. Um, Rory, just to jump in, um, what was your like experience with that year, 94? And kind of open question to both of you after, Rory, you've, you've got that one out of the park. Did 
did WWF, did, did they drop the ball? Should Owen have been world champion during that year? Oh, come to me after this, please. I have it sketched out. <laughs> I, have, I have my Owen as world champion theory that I've never shared with anybody, but I have to oh, get it out now. So go Rory first. We're going to make the world wait just for a few more minutes. Yes, please. Okay, so first, uh, first, when I first saw Owen and Tyler into 94. See, I became a wrestling fan uh, in 1996. At the time, I was 13, just going on 14, which for pre-attitude era for somebody to start getting into pro wrestling at age 13 14 that's pretty late i have to admit and the first raw i remember seeing was the one after the or the first beware of dog before they redid some of the matches uh and it was a match between a king of the ring first round i want to say between ahmed johnson and vader i'm pretty sure mm. and there was this guy doing co-commentary. I'd, I'd, I'd never heard him before. I don't even remember ever seeing him before. I've been watching pro wrestling for probably only about two or three weeks at this particular point. And I thought, this guy is really, really funny. He sounds like he sounds like a total brat. And I get the impression I'm really supposed to hate this bloke. But um, the things he's saying about Ahmed, oh, this is, I'm getting a bit of a kick out of this fellow. He's, uh, he's, he's really very amusing. And, oh, I think he must be affiliated with Vader because he seems to be saying that everything he's doing is great, even when he's cheating. Oh, who's this? Then I hear him say, get your hands off my manager. Then I see him climb up to the, put down his headset, climb up to the top rope. I see he's wearing a cast on his arm and he jumps on top of Ahmed Johnson. Vader rolls over for the win. And this, you know, not particularly tall guy with, with a cast and the blonde hair you know, just walks off, raises his arms in the air says woo and walks to the back and i think i don't know who you even are my friend but you are my favorite wrestler and that guy was mr <laughs> owen hart ladies and gentlemen as i'm sure you've worked out and it all began there which does very much include 1994 i say so pretty much from that moment on you know myself and my brother two years younger than me would just anything we could get our hands on when we would take the trip to the virgin mega store about 10 miles away we'd Heather on the bus every every Saturday, every two or three weeks with whatever pocket money we could rustle together and just buy all the WWF videotapes we could. And for some reason, without really even knowing the history of that particular point, we just gravitated towards 1994. And I think we bought everything from Rumble 94 to Survivor Series 94 in the period of about six to eight weeks. And we just watched them religiously over and over and over again. So I feel like I lived through 1994, that entire run. And yes, I have to include Survivor Series 93, but I don't particularly want to mention that show. But uh, we got that one as well. So the entire run of this storyline we've been talking about, which goes from Survivor Series 93 all the way until... You could say it never really ended. What, the no-holds-barred match that Bretton Owen had on Raw the week before WrestleMania 11, perhaps. So I was so caught up on it, and I would just watch it in chronological order over and over again, every weekend, like 15 hours. And that includes you know, watching matches like you know, Earthquake, Adam Bomb, and uh, various other things in 94 I won't mention. Stars and Stripes versus Guts and Glory, whatever they were called. <laughs> That's probably wrong. I'm not prepared to look it up. But I'll just watch that and just see everything from Owen being knocked off the apron and the only man eliminated at Survivor Series 93, all the way to that Oscar-winning, you know, every award you could possibly festoon him with performance, at getting Stu and Helen to throw in the towel during Brett versus Backlund at Survivor Series 94. 
let alone the five star plus matches at WrestleMania and SummerSlam and his own brilliant in-ring performance against three very different opponents at King of the Ring 94. I'm going to play in the King of the Ring 94 promo at some point during this particular show, by the way, because it made me laugh so much seeing him there, just the huge smile on his face, looking like the world's biggest idiot, but knowing he was the world's biggest idiot, wearing that stupid crown of the scepter with the WWF logo on it. At the same time, he looked like he didn't have a care in the world. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was just fantastic. Yeah, 1994 was, if you had to pick, would be Owen Hart's year. And if somehow you are listening to this and you haven't seen any of those great performances, not just matches, because he he nailed some promos as well, make no mistake, at that particular time, then I urge you to check them out. Now, Owen Hart as world champion. This is going to be the 64,001. Again, two questions here, really. One. He certainly had the in-ring skills that answers itself. So question number one, did he have the promo ability to carry things as champion? Maybe. Maybe. He was somebody who I'd never think Owen Hart needed a mouthpiece. When he had somebody with him, like, say, a cornet or somebody like that, it didn't really do any harm. So you could look at it that way, that he could get through promos. I say, not, not, I don't think, no. I think revisionist history that he was a terrible promo. That's not true. Number two is where do you do it? (laughs) Number two, where do you do it in the timeline? Where can you make Owen Hart world champion if everything else broadly stays the same? Do you do it at SummerSlam 94? When else do you? I mean, okay, if the Brett Owen feud was happening today with monthly pay per views and, you know, Raw and SmackDown every week and shows in countries we're not allowed to mention every few months. I'd like to think they wouldn't travel there, but uh, that's beside the point. Um, Owen Hart would definitely be at least one of the two world champions these days. Just to date this particular show, hopefully not the 24-7 champion, but uh, that's another <laughs> debate. Um, so if I think you were to do it, you probably do do it at SummerSlam, although at Survivor Series 94, he was still red hot even at that point although he never really had another big marquee match other than that one on Raw. I think he could have carried it off. I really, really do. But the question for me, as I say, and I'm not sure I've answered it, is when you would have done it. Okay, Eric, here you go. Or I should say, here we go. <laughs> um, you said a lot, and I'll just dive into my uh, soliloquy here that I thought about on many a run um, at times. So let me take a sip of my, my bevy here. So I'm later in the timeline. And you're right that uh, Brett and Owen never had a blow-off. And in fact, they never really, they kind of just drifted apart. And then they were, Owen was, you know, Brett was always part of Owen's shtick in a way, just as that looming figure up the card. So I'm going to take you back to SummerSlam 1995, a card on which Owen Hart did not appear. Yeah, yes, indeed. So, Owen Hart is currently tag team champions with Yokozuna, my second favorite wrestler of all time. Um, go figure. Uh, 95 was a really important year for, uh, I think I was seven, six, seven. Um, so, after SummerSlam 95, it becomes clear that the diesel experiment is over. Um September of 95. Rory, what was the main event of the September 95 in your house as booked and promoted, please? Uh, That will be uh, Diesel and Shawn Michaels, who two dudes with attitudes, 
uh, going against, supposedly, as was advertised until the day of the event, Owen Hart and Yokozuna with all titles on the line. Right. Here's, Aha, now I'm here's, here's what you do. In that event, you have Owen Hart through as many shenanigans as you want to throw out there. Throw out Bulldog, throw out Cornette, throw out Ref Bumps. I'm by no means advocating this be anywhere close to a clean finish. But the stipulation of the match was whoever scored the pinfall over their opponent won that title. So if Owen pinned Sean, he was intercontinental, and Yoko was world and vice versa. Owen pins Diesel and becomes the world heavyweight champion. Yoko becomes the intercontinental title, and then Yoko, and then Sean can take it off Yoko whenever. I don't want a listener to have to have me unravel that. That it's inconsequential. Rory, the October nineteen ninety five in your house took place where? Uh, remind Winnipeg, me. Manitoba, Winnipeg, Manitoba, oh, yes, Canada. Ah, yes, with uh, ah, in your house for the Great White North, of course. In Canada, in Canada, the main event of which. As as happened in, in a real timeline was Diesel versus the British Bulldog in the worst match of all time. Oh, fucking hideous! Why not instead <laughs> have Why not instead after Diesel loses his world title have Gorilla Monsoon come on and say Diesel is guaranteed his world heavyweight title rematch at the Survivor Series against the winner of Bret Hart versus Owen Hart for the world title in your house in Winnipeg. There we go, Bret. Beats Owen clean as a sheet to set up Brett versus Diesel at Survivor Series, and the only wrinkle from there is that Brett retains instead of beats instead of wins the title at Survivor Series over Diesel. Owen gets his one month as a transitional chicken shit heel champion, and we never have to have this conversation about whether Owen should have been world champion again. Yeah, you've definitely been thinking about this one, <laughs> but um, that's that's pretty watertight. I, I like that idea a lot. And plus the fact you do indeed eviscerate the memory of said in your house for main events. You know, a match just, is so bad that even Vince McMahon, you know, that doyen of match quality, even he deemed that one to be horrible, quote unquote. So there you are. I just think the opportunity to have Brett versus Owen for the world title in Canada on yeah. a B-level pay-per-view is a big missed opportunity. I know I, I fully recognize this would have been a hot shot to Owen in order to pop a crowd in Winnipeg. That's fine, but you get the bro, you get the belt on Brett one month early. You do the same storyline leading into Survivor Series. Can Brett beat Diesel? Well, he's never done it before. Diesel's hot to trot after getting screwed out of the belt by Owen anyway. And then in December '95, you can still have Diesel beat the piss out of Owen, and you're completely course corrected by the Royal Rumble. Yeah, because you can still do the Diesel Owen destruction that they did it in your house. Yes. <sighs> How could I ever doubt you on this one, Eric? There is so, oh, there is one other moment as well we could probably talk about while we're on this topic where you could have put the belt on Owen, and that is, of course, um, around about the time of In Your House DX Royal Rumble 98. And we said so on the show's in timeline. I think at the very, very least that they should have done Sean versus Owen for the title at the Rumble and possibly even the February pay-per-view at all as well. Well, I did say on those shows that I'm not absolutely convinced Owen needed to win the title there, but I still think you've got a ready-made two-month run to take you up to up to the build-up for Mania where you're going to have two quality matches where you're going to hit four stars plus with ease. Instead, he just had that one match 
with Sean on Raw, which didn't really go anywhere. Seven minutes long, ended in a lame Helmsley DQ attacking him with a crutch. Uh, Chris, uh, as you you raised the question, it's only fair that you drop in on this one. Owen would have, I think a transitional champion is about right, but that's not to damn him with faint praise. But um, do you think he could have carried it off at any of those times or any others? Uh, Yeah, um, I've been thinking about this for exactly five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, no. um, Well, what Eric laid out seemed like perfect because it doesn't disrupt anything about what the Fed actually wanted to do. But you get that month and you... The fact, if you have the chance to do Brett versus Owen in Canada for the world title and it doesn't disrupt any of your plans, then you do it. Like, that would have made perfect sense. So, yeah, that sounds, like, super appealing. Um, I definitely agree with what you said earlier in that in this day and age, he's a multiple-time world champion, like, no doubt. Um, I don't know. In this era, is he the kind of... uh, I don't know, kind of hanging around that sort of time, still Land of the Giants-ish. But you do have Brett and Sean, I suppose, who are both there. Um, So I don't know if he... He definitely had both the talent, charisma, uh, in-ring ability, um, and enough of a high standard of promo to, to do it. I don't know whether it would have been feasible. Like, oh, well, clearly it was not feasible, but I wonder how close it ever came to fruition. Like, would Vince have ever just seen him in that position? I I, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I certainly would have, but I don't... Is he, is he Vince McMahon's guy? Like, I don't... Not well, he really. had a carrying baby face. We can say that for starters. No, I, I really think if he... If Owen had made it to, so he was 34 and 99. Yes. Yeah. So if he could have made it to the brand split in, and he would probably would have retired well before then based on everything we read about the guy. But if somehow he could have made it to kind of that post attitude era malaise where there were, there was a stretch there where they were kind of, because every, I was thinking about this today too. Everybody who kind of made it out of the attitude era. And again, most of the guys were younger, but you look at edge and Christian, both world champions, Matt and Jeff Hardy, both world champions. Like if you just kind of made it out of that era and stuck around and were somewhat reliable in the ring and, and could cut a promo, you were given some level of prominence because you've been along long enough that McMahon could trust you. And I can't imagine McMahon trusting anybody more than he would have a holdover from the fucking new gen era who'd been with him through all this stuff. And if Owen was still there in like 03, 04, you know, your 40 something year old guy to, hey, we need a champion for a couple of months. And I know I can't get Owen out of this transitional champion mold. I don't think he was ever more than that, frankly, but just a guy to kind of give the belt to, to course correct and steer things underneath and then. Once you kind of figure out where you're going, get the belt off him. But, I mean, we had Christian as world cha- champion for multiple times in 07, 08, and guys like that. And I really think that if Owen had stuck around for a little while longer and been the reliable hand and at a certain point would have had that that clout with the company and with the fans just as the guy who's been there forever. Um, I mean, Kofi's champion now. If Kofi can be champion, Owen can be champion. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's a good comparison. And I definitely think, like, like you say, he's thirty-four in ninety-nine. Like, you get to two thousand and five, he's still in his thirties. Like, that's like 
a long time. Like it, it would have happened in that and, era. And a guy who almost was guaranteed to, if he wanted to be still working there, I mean, playing the odds because he worked a safe style. He lived a clean life. He wasn't drugging. He wasn't boozing. He, you know, he wasn't doing steroids. He was in all, I mean, barring catastrophic injury, assuming that May 1999 doesn't happen, like barring catastrophic injury and and his own decision making to stay in the business, Owen's almost definitely there working at some high percentage of the level he was working at already. Yeah. Totally agree. Right. So we're going to have another discussion about whatever we want to in the next few minutes, but I'm going to bring in a bit of listener feedback. I invited people uh, via the social media pages to give us their thoughts on Owen. And uh, here are just some of those. Uh, Here's one from our own uh, Billy Johnson, who sent me an email on this one. I'll read it out verbatim for you. The first memory I have of Owen was when I was seven and saw him in his big parachute pants facing the alligator man at WrestleMania 8. That didn't exactly leave an impression, but it wasn't until he began teaming with Coco Beware as Thai Energy. As a young lad, I really got behind the team, but it wasn't until he turned on his brother Brett that he became the biggest villain in my eyes, as I was a huge Brett Hartmark at nine years old. I was in utter shock and horror when he beat his brother at Mania 10. Owen was a guy I loved to hate when I started watching wrestling again in the summer of 96, as he teamed with the British Bulldog. Something that really sticks out to me for Owen during his later days was the way he played it over the top when Jason Sensation started mocking him, and you could tell he was having a blast playing the role of asshole heel. He also lists uh, five of his favourite matches as well, some of which we've mentioned. Uh, The match versus Brett, of course, at WrestleMania 10. Uh, The match versus Sean at In Your House 6, which if you remember, Chris, you and I were on that show in Timeline, and we gave that one the praise it deserved. Yep. That's a cracking match. Uh, Head Shrinkers versus High Energy from Survivor Series 92. I'll read his comments on this one. Uh, yeah, as he puts, yeah, the Rockers versus Orient Express from the Rumble is 91. Uh, in 91, is considered one of the best opening matches in WWF history. But for a young lad, this is one of my go-to matches to watch on a boring Sunday afternoon and still one I try to watch every year from time to time. Uh, he also picks Blue Blazer versus Mr. Perfect from WrestleMania 5. And Billy being Billy, as he says to me in the email, he also picks a match from NJPW because Billy is Billy. He picks Owen's match versus Chris Benoit from Pro Wrestling Explosion in 1990. I'd heard of this match being a tryout in the Fed, but never knew this match existed between the two in Japan. I think that tryout match was in 95, incidentally. Yeah, it's only 10 minutes, but in those 10 minutes, both men put on an excellent, an excellent solid, high-flying match blended with some tremendous technical wrestling. It's well worth the watch, as it's Owen Hart versus Chris Benoit, damn it. Uh, one of our former contributors who got in touch, Mr. Colin Jodkins. Colin, I hope you are. Oh, Colin, hi, how are you? The very same. Always, always good to hear from him. Come back on the show one day, Colin. We're still here for you. When I was 10 years old, Owen Hart kicked Brett's leg out of his leg. <laughs> a reference to that Royal Rumble promo. It's uh, still uh, a good promo. It's still a good promo. promo. The actual promo is really good. When you see his mouth frothing when he's calling Brett selfish, genuinely good promo. But of course, we are, we always remember the uh, we always remember the slip ups. But uh, fucking great promo. Check it out. At that point in my wrestling fanhood, I was well aware of good guys and bad guys. That though is the first time I truly remember a heel turn. To this day, I don't think I've ever looked forward to a WrestleMania match as much as I did him and Brett at WrestleMania 10. Owen was a master of his craft and was taken from us far too early. A couple of comments here from people who actually got to meet Owen Hart. Uh, This is from Jesse on Twitter. Spent a good 10 minutes solid talking to Owen in a Baltimore airport shortly before his accident. Was so down to earth and easy to talk to kind of person. He seemed so genuinely happy to be talking to a random teenager about wrestling. 
and why we love this. Very, very nice message there. Another one on Facebook from Joseph Merkel. I was at the Dallas Auto Show in 1999. Owen was there signing autographs. Nobody was in line for him, so I kept going back. I think we all were. <laughs> he kept signing the same picture over and over, though. By the time I left, my picture said Owen Hart, two-time Slammy Award winner and one two-time one, one, two tag team champs. I think he probably counted every single title defence in there, too. Chris, I'll come back to you on this one. Sure. Talked a lot about some of Owen's um, uh, greatest ever matches. I do want to discuss that again shortly before we wrap up. But do you think Owen, in, we talked about 1994 as a year where there wasn't much going on storyline-wise. You've got The Undertaker ascending through a ascending through a video screen. You've got a 10-minute Raw segment about Tatanka and his feathers and other stuff I've blanked out for the fear of going completely new lally. But do you think Owen and people like him, I'm going to bring in people like The Kid as well, do you think they brought in a air of legitimacy that at that point when it's happy, clappy, new generation era that the product really needed and even now 25 years on, still plays a major role in how a lot, probably not enough, but how a lot of the company presents itself these days. I don't think there's a huge jump from wrestlers like Owen and The Kid having quality straight-up matches in 94 to a 20-minute title match on pay-per-view between AJ Styles and Seth Rollins. No, I think you're entirely right. So that's that generation of Owen and the kid and their involvement in the well mainstay regular weekly product of the WWF, that's wrestling evolving within the Fed. And you don't have to look very far at WWE's roster today to see the influence of Owen Hart running through Kevin Owens, like very, very prominent Owen Hart fan, obviously a Canadian, but on the record saying that, like, he named it his son. He's called Owen, and he's called Owen because of Owen Hart. And, like, it's not even the fact that he was um, such an incredible wrestler, which obviously Kevin Owens, like, does believe that anyway, but it's more to do with the man that Owen Hart was. And he wanted sort of... Like in naming his son Owen, that's a role model, and his son can grow up to be a man like Owen Hart was. And when he joined the WWE, he had to change his name, Kevin Owens. Again, tribute to Owen Hart. Like you see the legacy that this guy had, and there can't be many wrestlers in terms of like booking here, like that didn't have a world title run at any stage within the WWF, but have a legacy that runs more than two decades in terms of influence within that company, let alone someone who obviously met such an untimely end and is no longer like with us to promote or champion that legacy and to sort of make an appearance here and an appearance there. That doesn't happen, but his legacy is so strong. Um, that sort of change in the perception of wrestling, what wrestling was, rather than just two sort of sluggish oafs waffling on each other within sort of North American mainstream wrestling, 
those guys are the ones that pave the way for people to get in the business who wouldn't have got into the business 10 years prior. It's not like you say, there's not a massive difference between that and having Seth Rollins and AJ Styles having a world title match on a 2019 pay-per-view. But if you don't have wrestlers like Owen Hart in the WWF, do you have wrestlers like, I I, I don't know, like do, does Daniel Bryan go to a wrestling school in like 2001? Like, and, and does he have that moment at WrestleMania 30? If you don't have, and, and don't get me wrong, like I'm not overstating this in terms of like, right, this is entirely attributed to Owen Hart, but that type of wrestler and that style of wrestling that he represents, and especially in the era that they're sort of making their way into the Fed from, is so notable. And like that shift in the style of wrestling and sort of, yeah, like you say, a legitimacy of wrestling in, t- in terms of it can be, a spectacular art form and with spectacular storytelling as opposed as opposed to just larger than life humans both in terms of stature but in terms of character but you can have that in terms of in-ring work as well it's worth mentioning as well that owen i mean sounds pretty obvious given his surname but he really was a name at a time where if you weren't a tape trader, Billy, or <laughs> you only really had mainstream WWF or depending on what year you're looking at, NWA slash JCP slash WCW to watch very occasionally every week, pay-per-view every few months. I mean, in April of 1988, I mean, Dave Meltzer, <laughs> we had to mention him at some point today, uh, ranked Owen Hart as the number one wrestler in the world. Not the US, not Japan, in the world. Number one. Mm-hmm. April 1988. You know, just just, just think of the ground that covers. So as early as early then. You know, <laughs> we, so could discuss, we could we could we could d- debate uh, Meltzer's frame of references an, another day. But um even there, people just reading the sheets. Well, who's this guy? No, oh, okay, his surname's Hart, but I don't recognize anything else about him. And he's the best wrestler in the world. The Dave Meltzer thinks so. And then just six months later, he's there in the Fed, albeit in a, under a hood, but uh, the point still stands. So the ability was always there. And I'm just glad that in a mainstream, or the number one mainstream promotion, we got to see it and we got to see him at his best. Uh, take, take any of that for us, Eric. I've kind of just I've been listening and everything is is correct and I've also been kind of sketching out categories of wrestlers over the years and I I really am more convinced than ever that Owen is a man in time. Uh, yeah. I think he I think he is a completely I think he's so versatile and his skill set was so varied. I so I sketch out three categories of wrestlers: eighties slash early nineties or late nineties slash early two thousands and contemporary. And four in each category, and I have Tully Blanchard, Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton, and Ricky Morton. And Owen was an amazing tag team wrestler, amazing in-ring technician early in his career. And I think, and then Arn and Owen have a lot of similarities in that they were really reliable mid-card hands, you know, lower card champions, intercontinental European television title for Arn. And I think there's a lot of analogies to be made. And then the obvious one is the the early to mid two thousands with Benoit, Jericho, Guerrero, and Malenko 
Obviously, I don't need to say that Owen fits in with that group from a work rate and technical standpoint, and he's a better promo than pretty much anybody but Jericho, and I think he's on the level of Guerrero, and he's obviously better than Benoit Malenko. And then contemporary, we have Brian Styles, Omega, and Cesaro. And I think you can't have – I think you can put Owen in that category too. And my point is you can put Owen against the four best in-ring guys of the 80s, 90s, and the 2000s. Uh, and I know I kind of skipped like the mid-2000s era, but there weren't – you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> but there's 12 guys there going back to the early 80s through now that you can put Owen against that are widely considered the best workers of their era. And in no way is he a man out of time – or is he outmatched, or is it weird to think of him against any of those guys? And if you think about the era that Owen actually came up in, a lot of those guys were limited by their work or by the style or by the Fed style or by the Attitude Era. And Owen is just a guy who could go to to, to any era against the best guy of that era and seem completely fine. And I could have seen Owen as a guy wrestling into his late 40s, maybe even in his early 50s, and having much better matches than guys like Kurt Angle and Triple H are are having now at that age. It's just unbelievable to think of how versatile he was as an in-ring performer. Yes, versatility is incredibly important. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. Do carry on. No, I I just need to say, it's it's just important to recognize that like you, Owen is one of the few guys, and Brett's like this too in a way, but Brett, by the time he was done, was wrestling that world title match style where Brett really has started to limit himself. I mean, watch Brett from the early 90s through like 95, and then Brett 96, 97, and then got into WCW. Brett, you know, did diminish. And we don't like to talk about that now, but Brett did significantly diminish in his late 30s into his 40s. Owen, I don't think, would have had that same pitfall because he worked as a heel, he had a much more fluid style, and he was much more athletic than Brett. Um, the other thing is, and you brought this up, an hour ago now, but Owen is a commentator and you brought up King of the Ring and you're absolutely correct. I am a hundred percent convinced that Owen, if he had wanted to be and was given just an inkling of an opportunity could have been the next Jesse Ventura. He could have been that smart, smarmy heel that pointed out the obvious deficiencies in the, in the faces approaches and against the face announcer and, you know, lean towards the heels, but pointed out when a face could work. And really the point is, if you go back and listen to that King of the Ring broadcast, there was not a guy on that card that Owen did not try and by and large succeed to get more over than he was by the end of the match. Even when he was calling Jake old, that was forwarding the storyline of Jake being kind of this like aging warrior. And I think Owen could have been like that Ventura character where he's a heel announcer but everybody benefits from him on the stick i would have loved to have seen that opportunity for owen down the road become that next amazing commentator think of owen in the early to mid 2000s and even into now instead of like your tazes and your bradshaws and those guys owen in that spot instead god how much better would it have been uh infinitely better i think it's very safe to say (laughs) Uh, I, mean, oh, I mean, Bradshaw as a commentator, I think even at his best, just horrendously overrated in his second term. Let's not even talk about that. But yeah, because he just, uh, 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 the gift of the gap, he really did. Because he's got to, King of the Ring 96 himself when he's on commentary for the whole show, he's got a lot of carrying to do there, a lot of very heavy lifting. Because that, that Vince is at the height of his, oh, look at that, notwithstanding, and then from there, what a maneuver, look at that maneuver. 
his height if there is such a thing and you've got jr there as well who's trying to hold things together owen has to cover a lot of ground he has to cover a lot of the color and probably even some of the play-by-play as well as well of doing as well as doing all the character stuff i mean king of the ring 96 is a very good pay-per-view in its own right anyway got some fine matches on there I really like Mero versus Austin. And it's a much better Sean versus Bulldog match than we got a month before. But Owen, Owen carries that broadcast from start to finish. So if you haven't seen that, especially if you're a newer fan, then fire up the network and definitely check that one out. You will be thoroughly entertained for two hours and 45 minutes. See, uh, the 50 minutes or so we've been discussing this, we've gone to places. I didn't think we would, but that just shows again, to use that word, the versatility of the man. You can put him into almost any facet of professional wrestling and you can make a case for him. I, it seems so ridiculous to say it now. Now people have finally come around to him. It's such a shame it's been long after his death, but it's actually happened. But is it fair to say that in some degree, I don't normally like this particular word. I think people use it the wrong time, but I think here it's justified that Owen Hart is still underrated. Yes. Yeah, I, I still I still get that impression that when people talk about Owen as a worker, they're almost doing and this is not everybody, of course, but they're almost doing it in an apologetic way. No, I, I overly sympathetic, or maybe even dare I say it, slightly patronizing. But uh, the proof's in the pudding, man. You know, a, a lot of this may stem to as well, like obviously the modern day fans' exposure to. I know we have the network, and if we wanted to, any fan of any age could go back and watch all of these matches. And they should. But in terms of what the WWE will ever put weight towards, they will never promote that. And I think because they dictate so much sort of the history of wrestling and sort of like if you were going to do like an all-time ranking of wrestlers, the WWE would control and manipulate that to who is like who's in with the company who's not and who they can push whose stuff they can promote like so the modern fan is vastly underexposed to Owen Hart so he has to be underrated I I I, I the the fact that we're 20 years in and they, we haven't been able to sort out what to do with Owen Hart's legacy on a on a on a WWF and on an Owen Hart's family basis. I I don't want to think what I would do if my spouse was tragically taken or if I disagreed with their line of work, but I understood it was working for a greater good. And then something. Tra- this is not waters that a wrestling podcast need wade into. I, I just, as a fan of the guy and as a true admirer of the person, it it's a shame that a, now probably two generations of new wrestling fans have been so hamstrung in learning about what this guy meant to people like me and Rory in the moment. Um, it, it is a little bit hard to to swallow it'd be as if as if there was a great musician or a great athlete who was taken before their time 
And if, if for whatever reason, the Doors, if Jim Morrison was taken at 27 and the Doors music was wrapped up in litigation for years and you really had to go underground to listen to the Doors or you really had to go out of your way to listen to the Doors. And, you know, you've got this great transformative performer who just wasn't allowed to be exposed after their death because of legal bullshit. And I, I'm not taking sides on that at all. I'm just saying it's too bad that wrestling fans have to work so hard to learn about this guy because it seems like once a wrestling fan learns about this guy, they want to know more. And that's the mark of somebody who should have a much greater plot of land, you know, in the history of pro wrestling than they currently occupy. Yes. You've pretty much touched on a question I was going to ask you and I will ask it for the sake of posterity, but you have pretty much answered it. And that is, should he be slash why is he not in the hall of fame? Just to append that question slightly. I mean, I know as well as anybody that the hall of fame, uh, it is no, less of a work than anything else we see on our TV screens every week. It's who is in the good graces of the company for somebody to get another pat on the back, as if in many cases they need another one. I understand that. But it is still, whether we like it or not, the WWE Hall of Fame is a thing. It is in some way representative. And it is, rightly or wrongly, seen as an achievement to be recognized as a part of it. So, again, I I hope I'm never in any situation even remotely like this, and I understand entirely why Martha Hart is still holding the same opinions as this as she did 20 years ago, you know, there for the grace of God go any of us, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. I know we had that speech last year during the Hall of... Was it last year? Mark Henry's Hall of Fame speech? Yes. Yeah, it was last year. They're saying that Owen should be here and broadly speaking, I agreed with him. But when he's addressing Martha directly by name, I thought oh, do we really need to go there? I mean, I don't... No. I don't think it's... No, this is the answer. I, I don't I mean, you never know. I know we had that DVD documentary a few years ago, and I say Martha was venomously unhappy about that as well. I almost feel like it would be the final act of closure if Owen Hart did go into the WWE Hall of Fame. But I'm beginning to think now that um, it isn't going to happen. Everybody is eventually going to be in there, be in there, who is a name apart from these people. Ole Anderson. Chris Benoit, and yeah, I'm going to say that, you know, come at me, everybody, CM Punk, okay? Everybody else who is a name, I think, is going to be in there at one point. Owen is still the big question mark. Uh, uh, Chris, I'll switch to you quickly on this one. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to happen. No, I, 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 I mean... think it would have happened by now. I really do. So do I, especially off the back of the stuff that happened last year with the obviously had mark henry in his speech but you also had the uh interviews with bret hart where he was talking about um i mean again name dropping martha but how he she had done so much work to erase the memory of owen hart i believe was the direct quote which is like obviously quite um well inflammatory um and 
the statement back from Martha through the Owen Hart Foundation about how um, she like would never like it's like that comment's reckless, it's irresponsible, and how Owen was an incredible entertainer, but she refuses to uh, support any efforts by the WWE to to profit from Owen's memory in any way. And I mean, if this is so like what I'm about to say is so like I know it's bullshit, like, but it seems like if the stumbling block is that she like does not want the WWE to profit from Owen's memory because she holds them responsible for what happened, I'm not making a comment on that. What I would say is, like, surely there could be a compromise where if you inducted him into the Hall of Fame, but WWE donated all of the profits that year to the Owen Hart Foundation, surely that is a compromise that could be reached to break this deadlock. And clearly the fact that it hasn't been reached says that there's a problem with that, Um, whether it's that that has been suggested but turned down or whether it's that WWE would be unwilling to do such a thing. I don't know. Um, obviously, none of us know. But if the issue is the profiting off his legacy, um, as opposed to her, uh, like, like wanting to allow him to be honoured in that way, that's not the issue. If the issue is the profiting, that seems like the most minor part. Like, you can handle the money. Like, there's a foundation in his name. Like, you can do it for the foundation. You can donate that money. Like you can do good with that money. I don't know. I don't know. And I agree with you that I don't think it will happen. I, I just don't. It would have happened by now. Especially it would have happened this year with what they got the Heart Foundation in, didn't they? With Brett and um, Brett winning yes. again and Nightheart winning in. They would have, I think they would have done it then. I, don't, I think it would have happened by now. Any more on that one, Eric? I'm a 30, 30, 30, soon to be 31 year old man who wears an Owen Hart pin on his bag into work every day and some days into a court of law. I could not care less whether or not Owen Hart gets inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. I don't blame WWE for not treading into those waters. I don't blame Owen's widow for feeling how she feels. I can only imagine what that's like. I, I, and it's, and personally, I, I don't give the Hall of Fame any merit. No, I understand that. And, and, and even if I did, I still just think that Owen Hart's memory is better and less controversially propagated by activities like this versus some corporate sheen reached in a compromise, yeah. reached in a compromise with with the the estate as to what you can show and how many minutes and where the profits are going. I think Owen Hart as a wrestler is a wrestler for wrestling fans. And so I think this is, this is better. And I just don't, I just don't care because if, if he is great, but it's going to be watered down. Mm -hmm. And if he's not, then I understand, but it sucks because he deserves to be honored officially. So it's just as, as the biggest Owen Hart fan, I just, I, it just doesn't matter. It shouldn't affect anybody's fandom one way or the other. I mean, just while we're on the topic of Hall of Fames, they are what they are. I mean, okay, I'm going to have another go at Dave Meltzer, sorry. But um, after the Chris Benoit incident in 2007, 
where Chris Benoit was already in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, I believe. And I think I'm right in saying that uh, Dave Meltzer did indeed open up a survey to his uh, to his readers. Say, should Chris Benoit be removed from the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame? But he would only accept a super majority of 60% votes. I think the final award was something like 56-44. So Chris Benoit stayed in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. So there you go. With, the, with what one stroke... Hall of Fames, if they weren't beforehand, and I think they were rendered utterly, utterly meaningless. I think it's just purely selfish on my perspective. I just want to see Owen Hart to this day and beyond get as much due as he possibly can because he totally deserves it. One more thing I want to talk about, one more specific thing before we wrap up. I say I could go on all night on this topic. Uh, I do think Owen's watershed match is a good place for us to finish here, and that is the match against Bret Hart at WrestleMania 10. If you want to hear a blow-by-blow account of this match, incidentally, I'll point you in the direction of our own Bob Collings podcast, Icopod, released a couple of weeks ago, where he and his buddy Austin Skinner look at WrestleMania 10 in minute detail. They look at this match with the closeness it deserves, and spoiler alert, they both think it's fucking fantastic, as indeed I'm sure all of us do. But Eric... I know we touched on it at the start of this particular section of the show, but I think it's a very fair place to finish as well. Everything about that match, the build-up, the characterization, the execution, attained utter perfection that I think in many ways, and they've tried, the Federation haven't quite got back to since. Uh, I don't know that I can be so objective on this. This is my favorite match Ever. There you go. Tell us why. The storyline is perfect. The build is perfect. Um, just every every detail about the damn thing is perfect. Even the introduction from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Pause. Let the crowd explode because here comes their hero, Brett the Hitman Hart. Fantastic. And then the drums hit. The Rocket, Owen Hart, and then the crowd just dies, and here comes the smarmy heel that everybody in the building knows is going to lose to Brett because Brett's not only going to beat Owen, but Brett's going to win the world title, and it's going to be Brett's night. And then they wrestle a match for 20 minutes that is flawless. They keep it in the ring. They go outside when it's appropriate. There's cheating, but there's not like heel cheating. There's just like Owen being smarmy heel, but there's no there's no weapons. There's no ref. I mean, there's there's no shenanigans. It's just two guys wrestling a match. One guy is bent face, and one guy is bent heel. And and then that finish, and the psychology of the match is perfect too. And then that finish, the the O'Connor roll out of nowhere and Owen steps into it. It's Vince McMahon says the only time Vince McMahon ever called a move and he called it perfectly. (laughs) He stepped into it and Owen wins. And then the look on Owen's face when he looks at the ref and holds up those three fingers, like three, I won. Oh my God. And then Brett just looking disgusted, but also, and this is why Brett is so good because Brett is also, you can tell he's a little bit proud like, oh, he beat me. He got me. Like, I can't believe it. And and then Brett still wins the title at the end, and then Owen comes out, and it sets up the best feud of 94 right there. It's just I. it's a match that has 
perfect storyline. It's perfectly wrestled. It's completely gimmick-free. They call it in the ring. I'm almost certain of it. And it's got a perfect finish with a perfect storyline that elevates both guys instead of the next six months of storyline at the top of the card. It doesn't get better for me than that. And it's just, it's the match that I watch more than any other because it's my favorite of all time. And one of them, I watched it again. It was a pleasure to, I watched it yesterday, for goodness knows the nth time, but uh, I will never ever tire of it. Always discovering new things about that one. Chris, I think we'll be talking about this match in 25 years more time from now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I could possibly top what Eric just said about it, to be honest. Um, it was uh, probably alongside a couple, but in terms of matches that I was fairly unfamiliar with, um, this one of the greatest matches that this project has really opened my eyes to. Um, which is like a huge compliment, really, when we're six years across three promotions in. Um, and uh, it was just unbelievable. Um, it was, I, I, I mean, I don't really know what to say about it that Eric didn't say, but the build, the everything, everything about it was on the money. Everything was entirely uh, as it should have been, and they maximised the potential of every aspect of the storytelling of the in-ring work. And there's so many ways to build drama, to accentuate storylines and to deliver payoff in wrestling. And you have like the build, you have promos, you have a storyline leading to a match, but then you have all of that inside the ring as well. And if you've got a uh, convoluted story that couldn't possibly play into a match, you're going to lose an element of it, regardless of how to, of how good the two men inside the ring are, but they didn't have a convoluted this story. They had a perfect story, and they had a match that fulfilled the potential that that story allowed them to have. Um, yeah, I think I've uh, probably, without treading over what Eric has already said, um, exhausted what I could say about it. One match, and I know, Rory, you're going to probably want to go back and finish by your thoughts on WrestleMania 10, but it's slightly different. Well, it is very different to WrestleMania 10, and it's not an Owen Hart singles match, but one of my favourite matches, and probably, I, I'm not sure if this is still the case, but one of the most unanimously well-received shows of the entire project from Canadian Stampede. Oh, yeah. Um, probably one of the best matches for the majority, well, not the majority, but a few guys in in there, probably some of the best matches they ever had in their entire careers. And uh, the crowd was just like nothing you've ever seen or heard. And Owen Hart rolling up Austin for the match-winning free count was just like a moment. It was like a seminal, seminal moment of like watching that. Like I don't, there's, there's like lightning in a bottle. You can't have that moment. It's it's authentic. You can't, no, no matter what WWE do and no matter what AEW do or any wrestling promotion in the world, you have to have so many things in place to get that kind of reaction to a match. 
that it's so rare. And but that match had it, and Owen Hart was the one picking up the win. So it's just a small. I wanted to give a nod to that match because it was just outstanding with a crowd that might well be the best crowd we've seen as part of this project. No, there's a case to be made for that. Alongside him winning the tag team titles with Yokozuna for the first time at WrestleMania 11, I think WrestleMania 10 and Canadian Stampede Owens 2, if I had to pick just two absolute greatest moments, I would probably go for those. I mean, the Canadian Stampede, despite Bruce Hart doing his best at that point to take all the attention away from what's going on in the ring, because Bruce Hart going to Bruce Hart, I mean, that pop when Owen gets the three count on Steve Austin. And you have to remember at that point, Austin was treated like you know, Al Capone by the Canadian crowd. He was detested, utterly detested. And Owen puts it down for a three count. The place goes utterly insane. A pop I can almost still hear ringing in my ears now. It's just very sad, though, to think about when you watch Canadian Stampede, which everybody should if you haven't watched it for a while, fire it up. It was our show of the year in 19, for 1997 on these programs, and quite rightly so. But if you watch Canadian Stampede to the end and you see that final shot of all the Hart family there in the ring, and you watch that now in May 2019, you watch that now, and if you're not choking back tears, then there's something wrong with you, I'm afraid. What, what, what other, just, just to finish up here, you know, I say, I've be happy just to talk about this all night long but especially if you're new to the man new to this show you've heard a lot about owen hart now we have the means these days i'm i'm very pleased to say where you can access owen hart matches at the drop of a hat now you've got the network there are other means out there as well now we could talk about him until the cows come home but the best example of how truly great in ring and yes on the microphone the man was it is all there nowadays available for you at your fingertips. Look at some of the matches we've mentioned. There are so many we could have given time to here. We just haven't been able to, but there is still a treasure trove of work that the great man left us. And I implore you, even if you are a super fan, as you already are, as Eric already is, you know, every day should be an Owen Hart day, as far as I'm concerned. And I'm just glad that we have sort of broken the mold of these particular shows just this once in order to pay fitting tribute to the great, great man who was taken from us far too early. I would like to thank my guests on this very difficult show. Two-pronged show, the first 45 minutes, and I said to the guys off air, was a bit of a struggle to get through, but uh, I think we managed to do so in a very dignified manner and made some really quite deep and thoughtful points and then allowed ourselves a bit of fun and, yes, entertainment in the second portion. But Eric Landstrom, thank you for joining us for this occasion today. I'd like to thank nobody but myself. <laughs> very, <laughs> very good. And Chris, uh, for helping me steer the ship through these particular choppy waters over the last two and a half hours. Yes, um, I mean, I was going to say it's been a pleasure. Obviously, recapping the first half is particularly difficult, but... At the end of that first half, when we had the break, it's obviously you feel quite downbeat and you're like running through what happened and the incident. But that last hour or so, plus hour and a half, maybe, of talking about Owen and just free form out of timeline. And like you say, to have that, to break the mold for the first time on this show, 
um, to talk about his career. I think he's a very nice tribute um, 20 years on. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a tough one, but it's also been really fun to talk about him with the two of you. And a fully deserved switch in the tenor of the show as well, I think. We have kind of done similar in the past. I remember back on November 96 ECW, we talked about the mass transit incident out of timeline, but we were still predominantly there talking about the incident. And of course, as you know, Eric, when during the Montreal episode, we kind of provided this final out of timeline epilogue section, but we haven't gone as far as dedicating well over half of an actual show to talking about something out of timeline in, in the here and now. But I think if there was ever a time to do it, I can't see a situation where we're going to be doing it again, uh, to be honest with you. But if there ever was a time to do it, uh, it was now. I'm going to dispense with the usual plugs for this particular show being a very special one. I did give out some thanks, as you will have heard, when I did my introduction for this program about two and a half hours ago. So um, you already know about those i will point you in the direction of our other shows though which are completely stat which are going to be completely standard shows our wcw and ecw ones for may 1999 they will be normal shows in timeline all the normal tv reports all the usual candor all the usual deep analysis good humor all the usual audio play-ins but we wanted to do something special here this is why this particular show hasn't got a volume number which is why i'm releasing it before i release all the others now it deserves to stand alone just to reiterate something i did say uh, during the preamble we will be releasing at some point over the next week or so just for the record really what did occur on the editions of raw uh, in May 1999, and the pay-per-view results, let's say, not that they particularly matter, as going forward when we try to pick back up and hit back all three of our shows every single month, where we will be as close as we can be, back to normal. We have a lot of storyline stuff to pick back up on for the WWF for June 1999. So just to ensure a smooth passage when we go back into the shows proper next month, we will be releasing that for you. But uh, there'll be no analysis on that. There'll be no guests. It's almost certainly going to be just me reading out the happenings and the results purely for posterity's sake. Uh, thank you for listening to the show today. We would very much like to hear your feedback on it. It's not something we're going to do often. No, <laughs> touch wood is something we never really need to do again. But we're going to leave you now with some of the greatest moments of the man who this show is about. The man who left us way too early, but leaves us with such fantastic memories, which will live on for a very, very long time. Mr. Owen Hart, two-time Slammy Award winner. Owen, this one's for you, mate. Woo! Oh, look at this power move by the Rocket. Skinner doesn't have a clue. Sends him in, rolls him up, beautiful sunset. He got him!
We're sick and tired of Jerry Lawler and all of his dirty tactics. My mother and father came down on Monday Night Raw. Jerry Lawler insulted them. While my dad was leaving, he was kind of shaken. He twisted his knee, he had surgery on his kneecap. He's at home recovering right now. But believe me, Jerry Lawler, my mother and my father are watching. They're giving Brett 100% support. Bruce and I are here representing Brett, and we're going to make sure that Bret Hart rules number one. Brett, there's only one way to solve this thing, with me being the shadow of you, the hitman. That's right, why don't you go out and step up to the plate? You and me, face to face, one on one. I'm challenging you, Brett, my brother, to a fight one on one. All you have to do is tag me, but he's too selfish to worry about me. He just worries about himself. He's trying to be a hero and fight the whole match by himself. I know he had a bad leg. Why didn't he just tag me? Just what? tag me, Brett. But you're too damn selfish. I've waited all my life for this opportunity. I'm gunning for you, Brett. You've held me down all my life. I know if I had a little brother that was better than me, like I am to you, then I would have held him down too. I would have cast a shadow on him all my life. But let me tell you, Brett, you don't see any fear in my eyes. I know you're trying to pawn yourself off as some great, some great humanitarian that didn't want to accept this match. But I know why you didn't want this match, Brett. It's not because you're some great guy. It's because deep down inside, inside your heart, Brett, you're scared. You know I'm better than you. And I am better than you, Brett. And come WrestleMania, I'm going to beat you. Because I don't know what law it is that says just because you're older than me that that makes you better than me. It doesn't make you better than me, Brett. And you've held me down all my life. And I'm coming at you, Brett, at WrestleMania 10. And I'm going to beat you, brother. I'm up on cloud nine. Red Hart, brother, I beat you. I said it all along. Now I am the best there is, the best there was, and I am going to be the best there ever will be, brother. I beat you tonight, Madison Square Garden. I said it all along, Brett. And now, now maybe I'll start getting the recognition I deserve because I'm a better man than you, Hitman, and I'm going to beat you. Here at WrestleMania, I beat you, and this is a great moment for me, Brett. As we proclaim him, I just want you to know, and all you dumb people out there, I did what I said I would do. I am the king of the ring, and I want everybody to start giving me the respect of a king. Ladies and gentlemen, President Jack Tunney at this time will do the honors in presenting the cake. You wait a minute here, pet and go. I don't want Jack Tunney. I want the only person in my whole family that I can trust, my main man, Jim the Anvil Neidhart. He's gonna present the king with his crown.
actually taking over this coronation ceremony, and he's got the power of the anvil standing right there to allow him to do just that. He's got Tom down on one knee. Now the tremendous cape. Look at the anvil and the rocket together. I mean, they're family, but we all know what's going on. This is many dimensions. Well, let's remember, Randy Savage, that they were a tag team combination. Please, you we know how tight they were. I mean, uh, look at this. Can you believe what we're seeing at the time that we're seeing it going on right now? All the way live right here from the Baltimore Arena, the King of the Ring 1994, his own heart, the rocket. Well, we saw a miscarriage of justice last year when Brett the Hitman's coronation was interrupted by the self-professed king, Jerry Lawler, and now we're seeing a Ladies disgusting coronation here. May I present the 1994 King of the Ring. Ladies and gentlemen, the... Wait a minute here. My first proclamation as king is to be from this day forward known as the King of Hearts. The King of Hearts. Check and I want out. you people to remember it with respect for the King of Hearts. I am standing with Owen Hart. Obviously, we've just witnessed some, we thought you were having compassion for your brother. Vince McMahon said we're seeing the true Owen Hart. This obviously was some sort of setup. <laughs> a setup? You got it right, that was a setup. This is the greatest Thanksgiving of my life. And mom and dad, <laughs> you fell right into my trap. You threw the towel in, and Brett, you're no longer the WWF champion. Mr. Backland is. And Brett, I could have beaten you before, but you cheated. But now, you're nothing. You're below me. You're down there in the gutter, Brett. You're not a champion anymore. You're a loser. And I'm a king. And Brett, you're a nobody. And I, unlike you, will never quit. I will never surrender. You're a quitter, Brett. Mom and Dad threw in the towels. And you're history, Brett. And I am. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Don't you forget it, brother. Whoa! Bart coming in! Bart hammering away on Yokozuna. That was a certain pin. Bart! Bart up and over! He dumped him! And the tag is made. Owen Hart comes in. Owen Hart, the legal man. Sharpshooter! Sharpshooter! Now he covers it. One, two. Oh! Well, I did it again! And you know what? No, no. You're presenting this. You gotta be thankful, my man. Owen spent a whole year of his life promoting this crummy show. <laughs> I did it again! Yes! And I have nobody to thank. Once again, I did it all by my sweet little self. Two-time Slammy Award winner! I knew it! I'm a winner! I did it! Hey, Bulldog, you may have two titles, 
But you don't have two slammies. 